Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. During the global pandemic, the attention of the world has been focused on China. After the disease was first identified in Wuhan, China was the first nation to force millions of people into lockdown as it mobilized an enormous national effort to prevent further infection. China's critics say its actions came too late, and they say that the delay cost thousands of lives in China and millions globally. Yet within China itself, the Communist Party has, if anything, emerged stronger, often claiming that its success in tackling COVID-19 proves that its political system is superior to that of other countries. Joining me now is Professor Steve Sang, Director of the SOAS China Institute, University of London. Steve, the Communist Party has a slogan, the people's war against the virus. What do you make of that? I was bemused and disappointed to see such a slogan being applied to the virus. If the Communist Party leaders know their history, they will know that when Chairman Mao used the term the people's war, implicitly, it means that China was prepared to take enormous casualties, both in terms of the soldiers in the people's war and in terms of the people supporting the soldiers engaged in the people's war. I think the whole idea of waging a war against the virus, willing to lose enormous number of people is absolutely the wrong way to encapsulate the idea. And to be fair, I think the Chinese government is not uh, adopting a policy which is as callous as the slogan would suggest. Nevertheless, life in China has returned more or less to normal. The economy is growing faster than anywhere else in the world. It seems as though many people within China regard this as a great achievement by the Communist Party. And yet, I recall at the start of the epidemic in Wuhan, there was a, a wave of public anger directed towards officials and the government, particularly over the treatment of whistleblowers in the hospitals. People wondered if this fear and anger would intensify and threaten the Communist Party. Uh, there was talk about the pandemic being China's Chernobyl moment, as if China was about to follow in the footsteps of the Soviet Union. So how come the Communist Party now looks stronger than before? It is very important to remember what happened to the credibility of the Chinese government at the early stage of the pandemic and contrast that with what is happening now. In January and February 2020, things were really going very badly wrong in China with China being the, at that point, generally seen as the only country being very badly affected by the pandemic. And since the country was governed entirely by the Communist Party under the leadership of Xi Jinping, who claims credits for everything, they were also being blamed for the problems of the pandemic. And that was the point when the legitimacy of the party rule was being questioned. And hence that comparison to the Chernobyl moment. But that all changed when the party state under Xi Jinping realized how difficult things were and used the near 
totalitarian capacity the party state has to confront the virus and then contain it. And that's how the Chinese government managed to turn the economy around and restore the credibility it had lost and then change the narrative to project an idea that the Communist Party of China is the only major government in the world that has handled it truly well and effectively. So there's a change in the messaging, a change in the narrative, but has there also been a fundamental change in approach by the Chinese Communist Party? And if so, how? The big fundamental change in the approach was that when the virus first started in China, and here we have to go back to at least uh, December 2019, if not potentially even a little bit earlier than that, when they realized that the pandemic or, or the virus was spreading in China and decided to uh, swap that under the carpet to latter part of January when they realized that it was serious and started to use every possible resources available to contain it and lock the country down in the most draconian way anywhere in the world. And that very draconian lockdown, when people who tried to break out, for example, of a lockdown apartment would have their uh, external door being sealed up so that they could not actually get out of the apartment. We're talking about that kind of level of control. But that effectively managed to contain the virus. And with the capacity of the party state, not having to deal with the pressure from uh, democratic lobbyists, the Chinese government was able to stay the course until they had practically uh, eliminated the virus in the population insofar as it can be ascertained before they start to release the lockdown gradually. And that is the essence of the success of the Chinese government's approach. And to do that, they require that very strong power. And in the exercise of that strong power, it is not a change from the normal approach of the Communist Party state. It is a manifestation of the effectiveness of a Leninist political system. So do you think that the central government is now more concerned about the culture of secrecy, attempts by regional leaders to stifle bad news? Is there, is there a move towards greater transparency? Absolutely not, in terms of move towards greater transparency. Where the central government of China sees as a problem was not the culture of secrecy or um, control of bad news. The problem was local authorities were not following the orders of the central government sufficiently effectively. So they want them to now do exactly what the central government want them to do. And they believe that by being able to exercise that control very effectively and in the way that the central government would like it to be, 
they will be able to contain the virus and keep the Chinese economy on an even queue in the midst of the pandemic. And that to them shows the superiority of the Chinese political system in contrast to the apparently chaotic responses in most Western democracies. So on the economic front, the situation in China looks remarkably healthy compared to those other countries. Can you tell us something about the way in which China has held up economically? I know that the government and the Bank of China have used stimulus measures. How important were they? Well, the Chinese government's success, I think, were dependent on the capacity to uh, exercise control and then contain the virus in the first instance and then use stimulus measures to support the economy and help the economy to bounce back. But the Bank of China certainly had help in terms of making sure that the liquidity is in place to support the industries. So that certainly works. What I think we also need to bear in mind is that you don't need to be a very strong and powerful authoritarian party state to achieve that. Uh, democracies can also do that. Taiwan is a very good example of how a democracy respecting rights could still contain the virus and also use uh, stimulus measures that are effective without that political control. There are other examples like, for example, New Zealand. One of my friends said to me the other day, well, who cares where the virus started? And I think his point was that it's a worldwide problem. We need an international effort to defeat it. Focusing on the origin seems a bit of a waste of time. Yet it does seem as though China really cares about being branded as the place that the virus started. Otherwise, why would it keep putting stories into the media suggesting that it was other countries, not China, that were the true source of the virus? It is very reasonable to say that the Chinese government really cares about the origins of the virus, which is why they are doing so much to uh, make it more difficult for everybody or anybody to find out exactly how the virus originated. I think it does matter. It matters because unless we know how the virus originated, we would not be able to uh, redress the conditions that could um, enable the virus or a similar virus to come up again. So we do need to know how it started. For the Chinese government, the really big issue is that they simply do not want anyone to blame China as being the source of the virus. And that's why they are so devoted to controlling the narrative. Well, thank you. I think that really helps me to understand the politics here. Nevertheless, uh, to me, it's clear that this global pandemic was not something that China wanted to happen. It wasn't a, a Chinese-designed cataclysm. What kind of impact, though, has it had on China's diplomacy and its foreign policy? I think it has a very strong impact on Chinese diplomacy and foreign policy. And it is really not about the um, origins of the virus, whether it happens in China. 
a new virus can evolve and develop in any country. On this occasion, it happens to be China, so what? Now, what really matters is that because the Chinese government is so committed to control the narrative and to prevent others from saying that the virus originated in China, they have turned Chinese diplomacy into a much more aggressive uh, form. And now there is even a term for it, which is called the Wolf Gloria diplomacy. Now, to be sure, this kind of so-called Wolf Warrior diplomacy is not entire, entirely new. Um, it kind of already existed for a few years, but it had not been generally adopted until 2020. And it is in this uh, midst of the pandemic when the Chinese government is so aggressive in trying to project its narrative that it turned diplomacy on its head. And instead of sending diplomats to try to persuade, it sends diplomats to pronounce and requires others to follow the Chinese government's narrative. That's counterproductive. We're recording this podcast in February 2021. And at this point, China's administered more than 20 million COVID-19 vaccines. It's also keen to offer its vaccines to other countries, especially its friends in Asia, such as Pakistan. But these Chinese vaccines, they haven't been approved for use in Europe or the United States. Why is that, do you think? Is this a scientific or a medical decision or is it a political one? As far as I can see, this is a much more of a um, medical scientific decision because we have not seen the data for the testing of the Chinese vaccines. So for the, for indeed any vaccines to be approved in Europe or in the United States, they have to go through certain procedures. There are a lot of boxes to be ticked. And if those test data are not available, many of those boxes cannot be ticked. And if they are not being ticked, then a vaccine cannot be approved wherever that vaccines might have been developed. Uh, when we look at the Chinese vaccines not being approved for use in Europe and in North America, we should also bear in mind that there are also many European and Americans developed vaccines which have not been approved for use in Europe or in the United States. This sort of things simply takes time. And if China wants their vaccines to be adopted by the European or American countries, they will have to share the data much more readily and openly. Talking about sharing data, sharing information, the World Health Organization investigators have traveled to Wuhan to probe the origins of coronavirus. How do you think their mission will be viewed by China? And, and how does that perception differ from perhaps the way it's seen in other countries? The WHO team was not welcomed in China. And the Chinese government demonstrated that by imposing all kinds of restrictions before they were finally admitted to China. And given the importance the Chinese government 
puts on controlling the narrative and making it sure that uh, evidence are not found to suggest that it developed uh, in Wuhan. The Chinese medical and scientific staff who will be met by the WHO team would almost certainly have been brief as to what they cannot and must not say. So I think the kind of cooperations that the WHO team can get from their Chinese colleagues would be very limited. They would only get the politically correct information. And here, politically correct is by the standards of the Chinese government. A last question. What's your perception of the long-term impact of the pandemic on China's international standing? The pandemic offered China an opportunity to engage with the less wealthy parts of the world where Chinese vaccines are going, where China provided uh, PPEs at an earlier stage of the pandemic. Now that will build up a bit more of goodwill towards China. But on the other hand, when we are looking at the more wealthy parts of the world, in Europe, in North America, and certain parts of Asia, I think they will be looking much more at the Wu warrior diplomacy that came out of the pandemic. That they would also be seeing how the global supply chain had become less reliable when China itself was in a lockdown and in a pandemic, and how China repay the early generosity of Europe and North America in the provision of PPEs when China was in need to when Europe and America were in need of PPEs, they were being sold very expensively, very poor quality equipment that could not be used. Those would damage China's international standing. Ultimately, it's not the pandemic that caused the problem for China's international standing. It is how the Chinese government manage it in terms of its diplomatic outreach, which is proving counterproductive. Thanks, Steve. And you can find out more about the SOAS China Institute, which is home to the largest community of Chinese studies scholars in Europe, on our website, which also provides information about courses, events and research. The website is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine and it should pop up straight away. But until next time, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast. <laughs>